0: Amen. Lord, we thank you and we praise you. Lord, that we can come near to you in worship. I just thank you for the privilege that we have, Father. And Lord, I just ask right now, as we go to your word, that you'd minister to every heart that's here. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us tonight. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. It's so good to see you. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand because you will need one. Amen. Read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? We're going to be in God's Word tonight. So raise your hand if you need a Bible. And if you do have your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. Hey, I want to say uh, thank you to the people from Aptos. God bless you guys. Thank you so much. These are, If you didn't know, there are some uh, worship teams from Calvary Aptos have been coming for the last month or so. And just what a blessing it's been filling in for us. And the good news is that it doesn't matter if we meet in different buildings, we've got Jesus in common. Amen. And we're all one church. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 5, I titled the message tonight, The Highest Form of Worship. And it's been a little while. I was in India for a couple of weeks and then last week I was sick and we haven't been in Deuteronomy for a while so I want to take a moment to kind of catch us up. Deuteronomy means the second law or the second giving of the law. If you recall what has happened up to this point, In Genesis, we saw the fall of man. We saw man fall into sin and then put into captivity. And in Exodus, we saw the end of 400 years of captivity. As the Lord heard them crying out and He delivered them out of bondage. And after that time, they then were let out of bondage. We know it came through Passover. We'll talk about that tonight. And then they came to Mount Sinai. And they were encamped there for about 13 months. And during that time is where the book of Leviticus was written. They were given all the sacrificial law. And then at the end of Leviticus, we saw in the book of Numbers how they wandered in the wilderness. Numbers, the better title, would be In the Wilderness. They turned an 11-day journey into a 40-year death march because of disobedience. And then we come to Deuteronomy, and basically what has happened up to this point is now that entire generation that started out, that left, and was delivered out of bondage, and we'll talk about this some more tonight, that entire generation has now died except for Caleb and Joshua. They're about to enter into the land of promise. And Moses is going to, for the second time, give them the law. Because he needs to train up this next generation that they might not make the same mistakes that their parents made. That they might hear the word. And it's an exhortation to all of us that we need to hand God's word down to the next generation. And that Moses, even though he was banished by God, was not going to be allowed to enter in. If you remember what happened, God told him to speak to the rock and he got angry and what did he do? He smote the rock twice with the rod, a picture again of the cross, and he did it in anger, and the Lord said, because of your anger and because you misrepresented me, you're not going to enter into the land of promise. And I'm actually more blessed by Moses' reaction because he could have said, you know, I'm going to take my staff and go home. If I don't get to enter in, I'm not talking to anybody, right? But he didn't do that. Instead, Moses had such a burden for the people that that Deuteronomy is basically one long sermon of Moses preparing the children of Israel as they're about to enter into the land of promise, telling them everything they need to know, almost like a deathbed. You know, here, I'm going to die, it's my last chance, let me just tell you guys everything. So the first three chapters, he reminded them of their past. He told them all about how they were delivered out of bondage, how God had made a promise or covenant to them, how he had commanded them to enter into the land of promise, but they did not enter in because they did not listen to God's word. I truly believe that is so much of the church today. We live anemic Christian walk often. We don't have a boldness in our faith because we don't truly trust God's Word. If we trusted it, we'd step out more, amen? And too often we're, you know, well, man, i got to check out the circumstances. Well, there's nothing new under the sun because the children of Israel were in camp. They'd gone all that way. They're ready to enter in, and they sent spies in instead. By the way, don't ever come tell me, hey, Pastor Dave, I'm going to spy out the land because that's a bad thing. Because when God tells you to do something, you do it, Amen? You don't have to spy out the land to make sure God's right, all right? God is always right. Well, ten spies came back, said there's giants in the land, so they didn't go. Joshua and Caleb said it's just like God said, and they heated the council of ten over the council of two. And we've talked about this, that often, you're virtually always, you're going to get more ungodly counsel than you are godly counsel if you listen to everybody. And we're to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, and the ungodly people are always going to outnumber, especially in Santa Cruz. The uh, ungodly, are always going to outnumber the godly, okay? But we're here to be salt and light. And the penalty was a 40-year death march, and that generation passed away, and it was brutal. Can you imagine? People were dying for every day. You're just marching around 3 million people just watching people die. And they just started to moan and complain, and I talked about how Moses, this guy, blows me away because he was pastoring a church of 3 million whiners. You know, I praise God for you guys, you know? I'm glad I don't have his church, right? And they just moaned and complained and whined about everything. And Moses continued to be gracious and loving toward them because Moses is a type or a picture of Christ. The deliverer that was sent to free them out of bondage. So even though they've been delivered out of bondage, it continued to murmur. But he also reminded them of how God had been faithful. How he had defeated the enemies of Og and Sion. He reminded them of how God had had wiped out everything that was before them, how how they had walked through the Red Sea, and He gave them all these reminders to to let them know that, yes, the previous generation had missed out, but God has still been faithful. And that's really the message of tonight's chapter, is that God is faithful, and God is great, and God is merciful, but God also is a God who gives us direction. Looking back, He reminded them of their deliverance and their promises, and looking ahead, He's going to remind them of the Word of God that had been delivered to the previous generation. If you were here three weeks ago when I was here, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, I titled the message, Why Should We Obey God's Word? And we saw, and I'm not going to go through it all, but there was 15 reasons in one chapter why we should obey God's Word that we might possess all God has for us because it's perfect and complete. It keeps us from temptation. It's the source of true wisdom. It produces a great testimony. It keeps us from falling away. It's the source for teaching our children. It installs holy fear. It keeps us from idol worship that we might know its inheritance and our inheritance in our life. So we might not face God's righteous judgment because God alone is God. It's a place of refuge. And so that's where we come to. And now in chapter 5, he's just relayed to them, hey, God's Word is faithful, and you need to understand the Word of God. Now let me remind you of the commandments that God gave to the previous generation so you don't forget. And you know what? We need to be reminded of God's Word constantly. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? Word of God, Romans ten seventeen. And we need to be in the Word every single day. We're to desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. And none of you is so skinny, you're not eating every day. So we need to be in God's Word every day, amen? So in tonight's chapter, Moses is going to remind the children of Israel of God's command and then he's going to remind them of how it was communicated to him and then he's going to tell them, give these commands for how to live holy lives. And again, unless we realize that we're sinful, we'll see no need for a savior and one of the main reasons God gave them the law was that they could live holy lives but also as a mirror to reveal to them that they couldn't do it. Because without him we can do what? Nothing and nothing in the original language is nothing. And so the reality is, you can do nothing apart from God, and we're so desperate for Him. And it's a constant reminder when we put that mirror up in front of our face. And so He's going to tell them how the law was given to them, and just the power of God, and how they ought to fear God. So, tonight, the highest form of worship. We're going to see Him remind them of God's covenant with Israel, that it still applies to them, even though the previous generation had failed. We're going to look at the Ten Commandments. Then the people's fear of being in God's presence, and then finally, the blessings that come to us when we walk in obedience. So let's begin in verse 1 of Deuteronomy chapter 5, God's covenant with Israel, the highest form of worship. Verse 1, and Moses called all Israel, and he said to them, hear, O Israel. Now that word there, hear, in the original language means to listen attentively, to understand, to heed, and to obey. Note the progression. First, he says, hear the Word. And we talked about it. The faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And the first step to growing spiritually is we must spend time in His Word. You know, those of you who did the inductive Bible study class, that's what I did in India. had the blessed privilege of teaching about 400 pastors who were getting ready to go out and plant churches how to study and teach the Bible using only the Bible. And when you do inductive Bible study, you observe the Word, you interpret the Word, and then you apply the Word. And that's exactly what's in this verse. The first thing he says to them is, Hear the word. Hear, O Israel. Heed the word of God. You know what, guys? We need to spend more time in God's word. If we don't spend time in it, we won't be able to learn from it. So the first thing he tells them is, Heed, or hear, O Israel. The statutes and the judgments, what I speak to you and you're hearing today, that you may learn them. Now again, it's not good enough just to study the word of God so we can academically know it in our heads. It must transform our hearts. Amen? Too many people are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. The difference between their head and their heart. Knowing about God and having an academic knowledge of God is meaningless if you don't know Him. We study the Word of God so that we might know the God of the Word. Amen? And he says, so hear the Word and study the statutes, but learn them. What do they mean? What does it mean to me? Interpret the Word of God and apply it to your own life. We need to meditate on God's Word, memorize God's Word, be thoroughly instructed in the will of God, studying the Word of God again, that we might better know the God of the Word. And then he says, and be careful to observe them. So not only read the Word and understand it, and not only learn it, but now apply it to your life. Again, as Christians, we read God's Word that it might transform us and conform us more into His image. It's not enough to hear it and understand it. We must apply it. God's Word is holy and, and, and holy instruction and direction from our loving Father to us, His precious children. Sadly, many people view God's Word as a book of rules. You ever heard people say that? I've heard people tell me, Pastor Dave, I'm not going to read any more of the Bible, because every time I read it, it tells me something else I can't do. And I don't want to be accountable, so I'm not going to read it. That'd be like saying, you know what, I don't want to read about, you know... You know I don't, my kids, tell my kids saying to me, I don't want to learn the instructions for how to be safe in the kitchen because every time I read something, it says I can't juggle knives and, you know, I can't touch the hot fire and I can't, you know, and the sad part is that as Christians too often, we think this is a book of don'ts. This is a love letter from the creator of the universe to you and he loves you. And it is a true statement that, that you know, experience is the greatest teacher. But it doesn't have to be our experience, Amen. We can read the Old Testament and see what Daniel went through so we don't have to. See what David went through so we don't have to. And he says, not just hear the word, not just learn the word, but apply the word to your life. God's word doesn't keep us from fun, but it keeps us from harm. Amen? Sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad. God forbids it because he knows it will bring us harm. Not because, again, he's a no-fun-bummer God. And so he's telling them, hear the Word, learn the Word, and observe it. That means put it into action. Hear the Word, open your Bible, come to church, listen to tapes and radios, learn the Word, study that you might understand what you've heard, and then observe the Word, apply it to your life. The Bible says in 1 Samuel fifteen twenty two: to obey is better than sacrifice. And that's why this is the highest form of worship. The highest form of worship is obedience. You know, I can sing praise songs, and that is a great form of worship, but if I sing praise songs with my mouth and I live like the world with my life, it's not worship. If I read the Bible, which can be a form of worship, but it doesn't transform my life, it's not worship. And if I, you know, even many other ways of, you know, that we would call worship, but the truest form of worship is loving God enough to say, Lord, I believe you and I'm going to obey you. He says, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. More than a sacrifice from us, He just wants us to walk in obedience to Him because we love Him. You know, what? as a dad, I'm an imperfect dad, and I love it when my kids just hear what I say and they say, you know what, Dad, I don't understand, but I know that you love me, so I'm going to do it. That just blesses my soul. And I think, how much more does our Heavenly Father, how much more is He blessed? If you love me, Heed my word," he says, verse two and three. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb—that's Mount Sinai. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fa- not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, those who are here today, all of us who are alive. What he tells them is the covenant that was made was for every generation, and the covenant went down to the next generation, and the covenant that he made or the promise that he made to their parents still belonged to them. What is a a covenant? It's a sacred promise. Not to, again, not just to that generation, but every generation that would follow. God is always faithful to His Word. Amen? Amen? Always. But you know what? People aren't always faithful to theirs. And sadly, the reason that the children of Israel did not enter in is because they were faithless when God was faithful. But God is telling them, you know what? They may have been faithless, but you don't have to be. And I want to encourage you that You know, it's these children of Israel who, though armed with God's promises, missed out on God's highest. My prayer for us as a church here at Calvary Santa Cruz is, man, I so want to see revival in Santa Cruz County, amen? I want to see lives transformed, but you know how that's going to start in my life and in your life? You want to see people's lives change? You get in love with the Lord first. God is faithful, people are faithless, and they missed out on God's promise. But the next generation had the same covenant, and the response was up to them. The people died in the wilderness, but God's covenant didn't die. God had made a promise to them, and He's made a promise to each of us. You know, He made a promise to you. And you know where He sealed that promise? On the cross. And you know where He he, he showed us and proved to us that that promise was true? Three days later when He rose from the dead, amen? And that's a promise that we have. And God's made a covenant with us. How have we responded to His covenant with us? Verse 4, the Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. The Lord spoke directly to the children of Israel. Can you imagine this scene? you got three million people who've been whining and moaning and complaining. Now they're at the foot of Sinai, and Almighty God's presence drops on top of Sinai. And we're going to see later in the text that it thundered, that it, it, there was lightning, that the ground shook, and there was fire on top of the mountain, and if that's not enough, God's voice came out. Now, do you think anybody else was talking? You know, I think about these things sometimes. Was anybody else having a conversation? I don't think anybody's talking. I have an idea that people were like, you know, and we, and we know from the text that they're so afraid that they said, Moses, we can't take this. God is so awesome, we can't even be in his presence. You go talk to him and then come tell us what he says. Because if he comes out again, we're all going to die. That's what it says. We're going to see it later in the text. They're blown away by God's presence. And you know what? We need more fear of God today. Amen? Why do people do the things they do? There's no fear of God. And we're going to talk about that as we go through the Ten Commandments in a moment. The people don't fear God. They mock God. They curse God. Why? Because they have no fear of God. Man, I would have loved to have been there. One of the most, the most awesome sermon God the Father gave it. He spoke the Ten Commandments to them. There was no doubt that this was real. They couldn't have Mo- Moses, oh, you wrote that yourself, right? And they couldn't pull that, right? God spoke and that was it. And there was no arguing or doubting or questioning because God said it himself. He communicates in power directly to man. And again, they're, they're just blown away. I guarantee you no one else was talking. So intense was this scene. Incredible scene points to the level of importance of what he's about to share. You know, if God gets up and starts speaking audibly to the whole world, I'm thinking it's probably important. Amen? And what does he share with them? He shares with them the Ten Commandments. He gives them the law. He lets them know his heart and his desire. Again, he gave them the law because he loves them to keep them from harm, but also as a mirror to show them that they were in desperate need of him. Because the law is a taskmaster that leads us to the cross. He imparts the law to them. The people were surrounding. You know what's interesting? Before they could even come and hear God speak, I love it, that Moses told them, You guys go all wash your clothes. You guys better get clean, because God's coming. Right? I want your clothes, and st- I want you to wash, I want you to be clean. And it's interesting that they stood there, and guess which day he began to speak? The third day. Third day he begins to speak it thunders it lightnings a thick cloud comes and guess what sounded very loud before he began to speak a trumpet and as the trumpet was blown the whole mountain quaked and then the voice of almighty god came out bringing the law the law is a taskmaster that leads us to the cross 2000 well more than about 3500 years later guess what happened jesus went to the cross and when he went to the cross he suffered and died and when he died what happened the earth shook and the clouds went dark and the, the, the whole sky turned black. It was darkness over the face of the earth. And guess what? On the third day, just like on the mountain, He rose from the dead. And we're waiting for a trumpet that's going to sound one day. Amen? And when it does, He's going to rapture the church and take us all home. And it's not by coincidence or by chance that when the law was given that reveals man's sin and need for a Savior, all those events took place. And then when Jesus came, all those same events took place. You know what, it's also possible that a shofar was blowing when Jesus was being crucified to announce the beginning of Passover. Again, the law revealed and all these things are happening. The fact that He came down on the third day, nothing happens by chance. And the fact that Almighty God came down on Mount Sinai is a picture to me of the fact that Jesus would come down to earth. God made manifest in the flesh, amen? And so we see here very clearly that that this is so important and so significant that God Himself speaks it. And they need to pay attention and heed it. And I want to say this about the law, because some of you are going to say as we go through the Ten Commandments, but Pastor Dave, that's the Old Testament. You know, we don't, we don't observe the law anymore. Well, Jesus came to fulfill, not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it, amen? And the reality is that there was the Mosaic Law and the Law of God. The Mosaic Law were all the things appointed to Christ's crucifixion, and they've been fulfilled, so we're not dragging lambs in here anymore and slitting throats, right, amen? And aren't you glad? Amen, I'm glad. Praise God. I don't know if I'd be a pastor. If if that was my job, just slitting limbs, I don't think I want to do that. And I didn't sign up for that, right? Well, praise God that the sacrificial system is done because Jesus Christ fulfilled it. But the moral law, I believe, still applies to us today. Not that we're saved through it, but God gives us direction in it. Amen? So verse 5. He says, I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up on the mountain. And again, we've talked about this, that they were shaken in their boots. They were so blown away by God's voice, they feared they would die if they came near Him. And again, it was overwhelming for them to hear God's voice. They wanted a human intercessor. So too today, you and I would die if we attempted to come into the presence of the Father. And guess what? We've got a better intercessor than Moses, amen? Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us daily. So verses 1 through 5, he's letting them know the significance of what was taught, how it came to them, what a powerful scene that was. Some of those who were listening were little kids when it happened, right? The generation before him had passed away, some of them weren't born yet, but some were little, I promise you, if you were three years old or ab- you remember that day, Amen? If God speaks, you're going to remember that. And so they're hearkened back, yeah, that's true. And they're reminded of God's covenant. And let's take a look at the Ten Commandments, beginning in verse 6. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Isn't it interesting, the first thing he says to them before he gives them the Ten Commandments, he reminds them of what he'd already done for them. Look, I delivered you. Remember the 400 years of bondage? Remember the beatings? You remember that? I'm the one who brought you out of that. Now, because I brought you out of that, you need to listen to what I'm going to say next. Amen? Do you know what? We've been delivered from the bondage of sin. Amen? And understand that Egypt is a type of the world and we've been delivered and so we too need to heed God's Word going forward just based on what He's already done for us. Amen? He's already been so faithful to us that we need to heed His word going forward. He had delivered them from bondage. He had parted the Red Sea. He had wiped out the Egyptian army. He'd been dropping food out of the sky. He brought water from the rock and they needed to to heed what He was going to do going forward based on what they'd already seen Him do. So to you and I again, we struggle sometimes going forward. It's good for us to look back. You know, that's exactly what we do. Third Sunday of the month and we have the Lord's Supper. What are we doing? We're looking back to the cross and remembering what Christ has done for us. We need to be daily remembering the work that God's done for us so that we might be willing to allow Him to work in us. The great act of redemption should be emotive enough for us to heed God's Word and to obey it. So the Ten Commandments. The first four commandments we're going to see are talking about our relationship to God. The last six talk about our relationship to man. So the commandments talk about this relationship and this relationship, okay? Again, a picture of the cross. Our relationship vertically with God and horizontally with the world, and that's God's design and plan as He gives us the commandments. As we will see, all are wrapped up in the greatest commandment. We'll talk about that when we're done. Look at verse 7. You shall have no other gods before me. Now this speaks about our relationship with God. We are to have nothing in our life that is as important as our relationship with God. Nothing. What about my kids? You're supposed to love God more. Amen? What about my spouse? Love your spouse supernaturally. Love God more. Matter of fact, the Lord would later say that unless you hate your mother and father, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He doesn't mean that you have to hate them. He's saying in comparison to your love for me, everything else should pale. And in our relationship with God, He's saying you should have no other gods before me. And nothing can be anywhere near as important in our life as our relationship with Almighty God. Because He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. And religion, the word there, relingara, means to relink. It's relinking sinful man back to holy God. And God's desire is that we would have intimacy with Him, a relationship with Him that's above all else. You know, there are no other gods. Amen? There are no other gods. I just got back from India. Hinduism. There's 30 million gods in Hinduism not working out too well got 30 million gods everybody's starving to death it's a train wreck right but pray for india because god is bringing revival there's fourteen thousand christian churches been planted by gfa god's doing a great work there but you know what there's nothing sadder than driving up and down the street and seeing idols every hundred yards and people worshiping them everywhere you look and they're worshiping dead gods and they, and they they will say to you well we got 30 million gods you've only got one jesus How can one Jesus be better than 30 million gods? Because all your gods were made out of wood. All your gods were chipped with somebody's hand. Because our God is God and created the heavens and the earth, amen? And there is no other God beside him. And he's saying very clearly that our first and most important relationship in the world is our relationship with God. You know, it's interesting that I don't believe man's, man's, uh, I don't know what, the thing that he would fall to most naturally, I don't believe it's atheism, I believe it's polytheism. Too often, man, it's just so easy to believe there's a bunch of gods. Let's start worshiping the sun and the moon and and we're in Santa Cruz, whales, whatever, right? I mean, grab something, worship it. As long as you're worshiping something, it's all good, right? And that's just man's slant. And then atheism, you know, the atheism is the belief that there is no God and the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. And the word for fool there is the word where where we get the word insanity. You're insane if you don't believe there's a God. Go outside, look at the rainbow. Yeah, there's no God. No God. You know, look at the human body. No God. It all just, lightning hit a puddle and out you came, right? I mean, it takes way more faith to believe that garbage than to believe in the true and living God. And what he's saying here is the first commandment is your relationship with me has got to come above all else. It's not Christianity. It's not truly serving God. If God is part of your life, He must be. Our life. No other God's before me. No other God's beside me. It speaks of a relationship to Him. Look at verse 8 through 10. You shall not make for yourself the carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations to those who hate me. Now, the second commandment is no graven image and this speaks of our worship. You know what when we make when men and women make idols, it shows a lack of presence of God's presence in your life. You know what? I don't need any idols and I don't need any pictures of Jesus in my wallet and I don't have to have any saints, you know, bouncing on my my dashboard or anything else. You know why? Cuz my best friend created the universe. Amen. And He walks with me and He talks with me and He never leaves me and I have intimate relationship with Him that's closer than the relationship I have with my wife. And when people start making idols it's because there's a lack of God's presence in their life. They need something tangible to touch because they don't know the true and living God who lives inside of them. They make an idol and they bow down to it and they serve it. Again, because they they need something tangible to follow. Nothing new under the sun. Remember the children of Israel? Give us a king. Remember that? They went, up Moses up on Mount Sinai for 40 days. Make us a golden calf. Amazing. Why? Because they wanted something they could touch. They'd heard the voice of God coming down, and 40 days later, they're making a golden calf. This blows me away. But at the same time, I look at my own life sometimes, and I do things just as, just as insane. And he says there that our God is a jealous God. I want to make this really clear to you. He's not jealous of other gods, because there aren't any. Amen? He's not jealous of something that doesn't exist. He's jealous for you because He loves you. He's jealous for you. He, you are His treasured possession. He loves you so very much. And He says He will the children, to the third, visit the iniquity of the fathers to the children of the third and fourth generations. Now I want to make this real clear. This is a warning to parents, not an excuse for children. Amen? Half the counseling, well, my mom, don't tell me about your mom. My mom, my dad, my mom, stop it. Okay, here's the reality. If you've been born again, you're a new creation in Christ. Amen? Old things have passed away, we don't need to go back and deal with your baggage and your issues because it was totalistai, it is finished on the cross, amen? That is the, the lie of the devil. We don't need Freud and Jung's help. They're burning in hell and they're dead, right? They're atheists. We don't, they're insane. That's what the Bible says, right? We don't need their help. We, we can just go to the Lord. We don't need a 12-step program. We've got a one-step program, Jesus Christ, Amen? And too often people go, see, my parents, it's my parents, they did this to me. Now, I want to say this. You may have grown up in a difficult situation, but every family that's ever existed has been dysfunctional. Because the word is sinful. Cain killed Abel, first family, right? One brother killed the other. That was the first family. So you can say, oh, it's my family. No, no, no. God loves you, and He desires to deliver you out of the midst of that. Amen? And you know what? You just need to turn to Him. You don't need to go back and deal with your baggage. Just trust God. He's a faithful God. And too often people say, see it's my parents' fault. No, this is a warning to parents, not an excuse for children. What kind of example are you being for your children? We can, be, we can be an ungodly parent and bring harm to our children, or we can be a godly example that will impact them in a godly way. Let me say this. Don't be surprised when your children worship what you do. Don't be surprised when your children worship what you do. If you worship your job, get ready to have some boys who are going to grow up and worship their job. If you worship your car, get ready to have some kids who worship their car. If you worship your body and you're working out six hours a day. If you worship your career, if you worship money, if you worship the 49ers, God bless you because they're just sad as they can be and God needs to deliver you from that, right? Bring you to the end of yourself. But if you're worshiping sports or anything else, if that's what you worship, get ready because your kids will worship what you do. But if you worship God, guess what? You'll have kids who worship God. You'll have kids who see what's important to mom and dad and they'll say, okay, That's what's important in life. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? And if we live that before our kids, we'll be a godly example to them. What do we worship? Stuff, cars, pleasure, or Almighty God. Verse 10, But showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me, and keep my commandments. God shows mercy to those who love Him and keep His word. Sin has consequences on us and our family, but obedience results in God's blessing upon us and upon our children. Obedience is the highest form of worship. God, I trust You. I trust Your Word above all else. Even my desires need to take a back seat to You, Lord. You're a great and awesome God. So the first commandment, Saul, what? No other gods? No graven image. If you were here when we went through Exodus, I taught you the signs of the Ten Commandments. If we have time at the end, I'll do it again. Verse 11, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes His name in vain. I've thought about printing this up on a card and putting it in my pocket. And just going around and handing it to folks. Because I'd get rid of them really quick. Isn't that true? I'd probably get punched in the nose too. But can you imagine? I could just walk through the grocery store. Oh, there you go. There's one for you, right? I mean, the reality is that people are taking his name in vain all over the place. Why do they take his name in vain? No fear of God. If they feared God, they wouldn't do it. And you shall not take in the name of the Lord thy like God in vain. An obvious application is using his name as a curse word. You know, when they say, Jesus Christ, doesn't that hurt you when they do that? It hurts. When they curse, when they, you know, they're damning God, doesn't that break your heart? It breaks my heart. It's like they're cursing my dad. And have you ever noticed they don't swear to Buddha? Nobody ever says, swear to Buddha. I've never heard that once. I've never heard that one. No one curses Muhammad, right? Never. They curse Jesus. Why? Because he alone is God, Amen. It's just more proof that He alone is God because all the other names are vanity and they curse the true and the living God alone. But it's a reflection of the lack of godly fear. No fear of God. No reverence for His name. You know, the scribes reverence His name so much. Do you know that when they wrote His name that they would go and cleanse themselves first? Take a ritual bath. Come back, write one letter. Go back, take another ritual bath. Change their clothes. Cleanse themselves. Write another letter. Come back... I mean, this was because they were so in awe and in reverence of his name, they wouldn't even put the vowels in his name. They'd write Y-H-W-H because they did not want to spell out his whole name. They'd leave the vowels out because they, they were just in so much awe of the name of God. How many of you guys have seen the movie Time Changers? I recommend you watch it. It's all about a guy who's living in the, like the 1800s who gets brought forward to today. He's in, lives, he's in a seminary and he goes around and he's blown away by how much people sin today. He goes into a movie theater and he's in a theater and they curse God's name and he runs out into the lobby and says, stop the picture. Stop the picture. They just curse God in there. They just blaspheme the Lord. And the sad part is you're watching the movie and you kind of laugh because you're like, well, duh. That happens all the time. But it shows how desensitized we've become to sin. Amen? Can I encourage you with something? This is my personal conviction, but I want you to pray about it. How can we go to a movie where they curse our Father? Screen it, Look it up, it'll tell you if there's any swear words in there. How can we take God's money out of, my, out of God's wallet that's in my back pocket, in God's pants, and give God's money to the people and go sit in there and listen to curse my God? I don't get it. You know what, and, it's, and you know what, if the church would just say, you know, we're not going to that anymore, maybe they'd clean up their language, amen? And if not, let's just stop going. But the reality is that they curse God and we just let it go. And can I encourage you, be careful with the slang that comes out of your mouth. What is gosh dang it slang for? Right? Jeez! What's jeez what? Jesus, right? And I just want to encourage you again, that I think, especially us as parents, we set the example for our kids. I'm not talking about being legalistic, but I love God so much that it hurts me when I hear it. And it ought to hurt us when we hear it. Amen? And if we've been desensitized to it, let's get resensitized to it. Because thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And here's another way it's taken in vain. And I want you to hear this. The Lord told me, and then something after that. I have had more people tell me the Lord told me and then a week later, well, maybe not. I'm not saying the Lord can't speak to you. You better be sure it's the Lord and not just you. Amen? And people do that. I'll be in a counseling session. Well, the Lord told me. And that's always the trump card. How do, what do I say to that? Well, the Lord told me. And if it doesn't contradict the Bible... But that's the other thing. People say the Lord told me to divorce my husband. Really? I don't think so because the Bible says God hates divorce. Amen? And so God's not going to contradict His Word, but be careful what the Lord told me. Sometimes I get sick to my stomach hearing that. Well, the Lord told me. That's how I know. How did He tell you? How did He tell you? You know what? Look for confirmation in God's Word. Amen? You want God to speak to you? Lord, give me a verse. Amen? Show me from the Word. That's taking God's name in vain. We start throwing around, the Lord told me, when maybe it wasn't the Lord who told me. How many times does a false prophet have to be wrong before he's a false prophet? That'd be once. And in those days, a false prophet wasn't a good situation. Right? A bunch of rocks come in your direction. Now, we don't do that anymore, but I want to encourage you. do And the other thing that's happening is, aren't they taking the Lord's name off of everything? Let's get him out of the schools. Let's get him out of the courthouses. We're taking the Lord's name in vain. Verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all the work, and the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, in it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, and your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, the Lord your God brought you out. From a, by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day holy. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, it says, Therefore, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel. The Sabbath is the only commandment not repeated in the New Testament. You know why? Because we don't keep the Sabbath anymore. Jesus is our Sabbath rest, and we rest in Him 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Amen? He is our rest. Now, I do believe there's a principle we should learn from the Sabbath, and that we should have days and time set aside to worship God and not to do anything else. Don't be so busy with your job you don't have time for church. Because then you just made an idol out of your career. Amen? Well, I got to work three jobs. Why? Because I bought a boat and I got a boat payment and I got the house up at the thing and the RV and I got to work three jobs and and so I can go away on the weekends and not go to church. You shall have no other gods before me. Amen? And again, there's those who are very near to this building right now that would say we should worship only on Saturday. Right? In the Old Testament, Saturday was the Sabbath. Now, we don't worship on Saturday. Now, here's the reality as Christians, we can worship any day we want. You have know, church whenever you want. And we should have church all the time. More and more as the day approaches. But why do we worship on Sunday? Which some people say is the mark of the beast. We know that's not true. But Seventh-day Adventists, some people say that it's the mark of the beast to worship on Sunday. So, and we're meeting in their gym on Sunday, so I guess they, they must not believe that here. But the Sabbath, <laughs> the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, and was to be a day of rest and worship. And you know, what the, you know what the Pharisees turned it into? A drudgery. They, man, they had a list of rules this long. And you know what? God wants us to enter into his rest, not into his rules. Amen? And there's churches all over the place. Okay, you want to give your life to the Lord? Sit down. Take a note. Here's 1,500 rules you've got to keep. And they're oh, right? And I've said to you before, Christianity is not a black robe with a wheelbarrow full of rules, oh, all in heaven at the end, right? just carrying my rules around right wearing the black robe hit myself in the face every 3 steps with a board right <laughs> to prove that I'm worthy that's not the god we serve it's not rules it's freedom in christ amen yeah. and what they turned the sabbath in that you know you couldn't put your false teeth on the sabbath because that was work you were carrying weight around you couldn't take a bath on the sabbath because water might splash out hit the floor and wash the floor and that would be work you couldn't make a fire. So you had a bunch of starving, dirty people. If you had a wooden leg, you couldn't wear it. People hopping around, you know, dirty, stinking. I mean, what a great and wonderful day. I can't wait for the Sabbath, right? And that wasn't God's heart. And you know what? What was Jesus repeatedly accused of doing? Breaking the Sabbath. All the time. Why? Because Sabbath was not made for well, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And we worship on Sunday. Here's why. Because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. Amen. And the first century church met on Sunday. But if your church meets on Saturday or Thursday or Friday or every other day, that's great. Amen. Because every day is the same with the Lord. But that's why we worship on Sunday. And we worship every day and we enter into his rest. And he desires that we have rest, not rules. So no other gods, no graven images, not take his name in vain and enter into his rest. Those are the commandments. About our relationship with God. Now, quickly, let's go through the six commandments speaking about our relationship with others. Verse 16. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now, isn't this interesting? There's only one commandment that really right after it tells you that you're going to be blessed if you just obey this. And it's honoring your mother and father. Now all of you are like, why aren't my, kid, why are my kids in class right now? <laughs> Bring them out here and say that again, right? Let's get the tape. What, what? Somebody mark the tape. Where is that, right? But here's the reality. We are to honor our parents and we are to honor others. And the place it starts is in our relationship with mom and dad. And can I tell you something? Most of you know my dad. He was my assistant pastor here for four years before he went to San Jose to help Don McClure. Do you know I still honor my dad as much today as I did when I was eight years old? Because I believe that part of honoring my parents continues on even now. Now, I want to say this. If my parents, my parents won't because they're Christians, but if your parents ever told you to stop going to church, that's when you stop honoring your parents. The Bible says children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Amen? But we need to honor our mom and dad. And we need to esteem them highly. And children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And it comes with a great promise. Parents, be spiritual leaders. Be godly examples. You know what? The number one place your your children should learn about the Lord is from you. Number one place. Sunday and Wednesday ought to be gravy. Amen? They ought to be hearing about the Lord from you every single day. And again, coming to church on Sunday to get more. Husbands, the number one place your wife ought to be learning about the Word of God is from you. Not me, you. Okay? I'm not her husband. You are. Amen? And... You're to minister the Word to her, and then when she comes on Sunday, more. Wednesday, more. But honor our parents, and when we do, God blesses it. And you know what? When God gives us His Word, we can trust Him. Verse 17, you shall not murder. Now, I can't tell you how many people attack me with this one, because, Pastor Dave, how can you... I'm, I'm not supposed to tell you who I voted for, but I will. I voted for President Bush, okay? How can you vote for President Bush... And be a Christian because he's sending people off to war and the Bible says you shall not murder. Right? Doesn't it say that? Well, the word there is murder and in Hebrew it means premeditated killing done in anger or out of personal revenge. Let me ask you a question. Are there times in the Bible, we're going to see it for the rest of Deuteronomy where he told him to go in and wipe out the enemy? Didn't he tell him to do that? Yes. Yes, he did. So you're telling me, Pastor Dave, that sometimes God is behind war? Yes, he is. If somebody, let me ask you a question, and I know this is going to get people all riled up with me, but it's never, you know, it happens every week, so that's okay. Here's the reality. Do people in Iraq have more freedom to worship God today than they did a year ago? Yes, they do. Is there anything more important than that? No, case closed, that's it, game over, right? I mean, the reality is that they were, it was against the law for them to worship God, and now they have freedom to worship God. And I got Christians walking around, oh man, President Bush, he's got, hey, stop it. Here's the reality, God used him, amen? And those people, you know what, the people in Iraq are excited, they're happy, now there's some insurgents, but here's the reality, it's not you shall not kill, it's you shall not murder. People come up, well what about the death sentence, Pastor Dave? There, There should be no capital punishment. Well, the Lord very clearly in the Bible says, if you kill somebody, so you shall die, amen? All over the Bible it says that. He tells them repeatedly, and he even rebe- brings it sometimes. Himself. Why? Because when we sin, sin has consequences. And we're not to carry it out, but the government has been placed there by God to bring it out. Again, later Jesus would say something else. You might say, well, I'm not a murderer. I don't have to worry about this one. I, got- I didn't do that one. And mark that down. Never broke. I never broke number six. Ah, number six. No problem for me. Right? The Bible says if you've ever hated somebody you've committed murder. How many of you have ever, ever said, one t- I hate that guy. Raise your hand. If your hand's not up, you're breaking another commandment coming up here in a minute. <laughs> about bearing false witness. Liar, liar, pencil, right? The reality is that if you hate, you've committed murder. And the reality is we've all broken every one of these commandments. Seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Oh, I haven't done that. The Bible says if you've ever lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. And you know what? I want to say this. This... Sexual immorality is rampant today, amen? And I'll tell you what, you can't turn on a TV, you can't open a magazine, you can't... And, it's, and what's really, where it's really heavy is with your computer, guys. Can I encourage you with something? If you don't have you know, a block on your computer that keeps you from going to those sites, then get one. Wives, if your husband doesn't have one, just call up and order it, okay? <laughs> And blame it on Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave said to order it, so I just did it, right? He can come talk to me if he's got a problem. But here's the reality. The reality is that guys who would never go down and buy pornography are going to a strip club for a million dollars. Someone might see them. But there, there's no accountability when that thing's sitting on your desk and your family's asleep or you're at work or whatever. And it's, it's an epidemic today. And he says you're not to commit sexual immorality or commit adultery. In ancient Israel, what did they do to adulterers? They stoned him to death. You know what they did? They put you in a box up to here. Then they threw rocks at you till you died. Then they put you in the box and they planted a tree there. So every time somebody walked by and saw the tree, they knew, oh, another dead adulterer. Now, can you imagine if they stoned everybody that committed adultery today? There'd just be piles of rocks everywhere. You could, As J. Bernard McGee said, you couldn't get across town. There'd just be piles of rocks everywhere. But the reality is that we now don't even consider it sin almost. We're entertained by it. Aren't, how many movies are about somebody who's married who meets somebody else and runs off with them and we're all, oh, it's a great love story, right? Fornication at its finest, it's so wonderful, right? <laughs> Look at the adultery. Oh, it's just great. I'm so blessed by it, right? I mean, the reality is that we need to be sensitive to that because we become desensitized as we watch it over and over and over. And same is true with fornication and homosexuality. It's rampant in our society, and one of Satan's greatest tools is to put it in our entertainment. How many homosexual characters on TV now? 20 years ago, there's none. I mean, Leave it to Beaver did not have any homosexual neighbors, right? But now, you turn on every... And what are they doing? They're, they're forcing it down your throat until you get to the point where it's no big deal. And that's why now there's this upsurge. But praise God that they all got voted down, amen? amen. Praise the Lord for that. Verse 19. You shall not steal... So don't commit adultery. God's word is the standard. It doesn't matter what the world's doing. And don't steal. Stealing's based on greed. And you know, most of us aren't going to go down to the, to the bank with a, you know, a gun and steal. But do you know it's just as bad if you cheat on your time card? you know it's just as bad if you show up at work at 8.30 and we're supposed to be there at 8? And you go home and they pay you? you know it's just as bad when you cheat on your taxes? Well, I'm not sure if that's deductible. Let's just put it down, right? That's stealing. And the Lord tells us that we're not supposed to steal. Got any mugs at home that belong at work? I don't know. I mean, stuff that just, that's stealing. It doesn't belong to you. Reputation is what we do when everyone is watching, and character is who we are when no one's watching. Amen? And God wants us to be men and women of character. Thou shalt not steal. Don't take stuff that's not yours. Verse 20, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not lie. You know, our tongue is a small rudder, but it turns a big ship, amen? And most of our sin starts with this little thing, I had. Amen? Isn't that true? If I was a mute, I'd sin a lot less. I'd sin a lot. In a multitude of words, guess what? There's a lot of sin. Lying is usually rooted in pride, because why do we lie? Because we want other people to think that we're something we're not, right? We lie and tell them something that's just not true to make ourselves look better. We also lie out of greed to, for financial gain on our taxes, or maybe you're a sales guy and you lie about something just to close the deal, or whatever it might be. Lying is a sin. We're bearing false witness. We speak. You know what? Can I encourage you with something? If you're talking about somebody, talk as if they were sitting next to you. Amen? Talk as if they were sitting next to you. Don't bear false witness. Don't lie. It breaks God's heart. You know, we're Christians. And as Christians, we should be reflecting Him. And I believe that we take His name in vain and we lie and we cheat in that sense if we're Christians and we don't portray that to the world. When people see us, they ought to see Jesus. Amen? I got a long way to go. How about you? Amen? But my heart is that I will be more and more like Him every single day. Verse 21. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's, you know what, covetousness is very clear, it's wanting more of something you already have enough of, that's what it is, people today spend money they don't have buying things they don't need to impress people they don't know, amen, right, that's what they do, they got credit card debt because they're buying stuff to impress people that they've never even met before, and you know what, covetousness leads to stealing, lying, adultery, and even murder, Because when we want something that somebody else has, then we will do whatever is necessary to get it. And as Christians, we need to be content with what God has given us. Godliness with what is great gain? With contentment. Being content. I just came back from India. Everybody in this room is extremely rich. All of you. I was meeting with people sleeping in a hut with no electricity and not knowing where lunch is coming from, breakfast is coming from tomorrow, and kids who literally don't have any clothes, and I mean any clothes nothing we're rich amen and we're bummed out well i got four bedrooms man it's kind of rough you know my garage door opener only goes up halfway i mean man i'm suffering for the lord you know what i mean i mean we just we think we got it rough we have no idea how content we ought to be law not given to make men holy he gave us these 10 commandments to make us realize that we couldn't keep up What is the law? It's a mirror. We've talked about this. If you've been coming here more than a week, you've heard it a hundred times. You hold up the mirror to your face, and what does the law do? It shows you you're a sinner. So then do you take the law, you know, you take the mirror and rub your face with it? No. The law shows you're a sinner and shows you your need for a Savior. Only Jesus Christ can pay the price. The old covenant failed because men failed. But the new covenant will not fail because God is faithful. Amen? Amen. The old covenant was based on the faithfulness of men and it failed miserably. The new covenant is based on the faithfulness of God. Verse 22. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud, the thickness of the thick darkness with loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. Not only did, it, did God speak it with his voice, but he wrote it with his hand. Do you think he was wanting to make sure they got it? He spoke it with his voice and then he wrote it with his hand and he gave it to Moses and brought it down that they might have them before them. We're almost done. Verse 23. So it was when you heard from the voice in the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire, that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us His glory and His greatness, and we have heard His voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet He still lives. Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, then we shall die. For... For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? You go near and hear all that the Lord your God will say. Tell us all that the Lord our God says to you and then we will hear it. You know, again, there was such a fear that they didn't want to even approach God anymore because they'd seen the fire and they'd heard the voice of God and, and you know what? The next generation needed to be reminded of that. And so too does this generation you know, today there's many churches that have no sense of God's majesty, and they have no respect for the authority of His Word. And you know what happens? They start denying the Bible. You start voting on whether or not you ought to have a homosexual pastor. Why? Because you don't, know, you don't trust the authority of the Bible anymore. Amen? You can all quote it. Sixty-six books, forty authors, three continents, three languages, 1,500 years, one central theme, no contradictions. How's that possible? Because God wrote it, amen? And because God wrote this book, we will never turn away from it, amen? And you know what? When you start doubting any one line of this Bible, you're rejecting the word, the very God that wrote it, amen? Amen? And sadly, what has happened is people don't have the fear that these people have. They don't have the reverence for God anymore. And because of it, they just start to deny the Word of God. They start to water down the Bible. Verse 28. Then, then the Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. He said, I have heard the voice of the words of this people when they have spoken to me. They are right in all that they have spoken. Oh, look at verse 29. You know what? If you underline verses in your Bible, underline this verse. It says, oh, that they... Had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments, that it may be well with them and with their children forever. You know what? A lot of people think that God is sitting up in heaven with a lightning bolt in his hand, sitting on the edge of his seat, just waiting for us to mess up so he can smoke us. Right? You ever seen Sunday cartoons like that? Right? God's got a beard and lightning bolt. Just I'm just waiting. Got enough rules. Someone's going to blow it. Right? That's not our God at all. Look at His heart in verse 29. What does He say? Let me read to you. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear Me and always keep My commandments, that it may be well with them and with their children forever. God loves us and He wants us to walk close to Him, to have holy fear that leads to a life of obedience. And again, again, Nothing could be further from the truth that He wants to smoke you. He loves you. He'd rather die than live without you. He gave you His word that you would know Him better and live a life that is fruitful and blessed. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of what? Wisdom. We need to fear God more. We need to know how much He loves us, but we also need to fear Him, as He says in this verse. Go and say to them, return to your tents, but as for you, stand here by Me, and I will speak to you all the commandments, the statutes, the judgments which you'll teach them that you may observe them in the land which I am giving them to possess. Moses, God's intercessor, was to deliver his word to the people, was to instruct them in preparation for entering the land. Verse 32, Therefore you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. Here we see another key to a fruitful walk. Where's your focus? What are you passionate about? When you wake up in the morning, what's the first thing on your mind? I've told you before that God put it on my heart years ago when I was teaching through Samuel as I was a youth pastor, probably 18 years ago. God put it on my heart every morning when I wake up. First two words, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. It's for me to remind me what my life is all about. Where should my focus be when I wake up in the morning? Not, man, I've got to get to work. I mean, that's okay, but you know what? Start your day with the Lord, amen? Seek Him first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. He says, don't turn to the right or to the left. Be focused on God alone. You know what? This is impossible if we're not empowered by the Holy Spirit. Amen? What did John the Baptist say? I must decrease that he might increase. And it's the only way that we can keep our focus where it needs to be. Last verse. You shall walk in all your ways which the Lord your God has commanded you that you may live and that it may be well with you that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. We say it again. When we're obedient... God is glorified and we get blessed. Today we live under grace and not the law. And as Christians, we've been cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're indwelt by the Spirit. We're not bound by the law, but out of love. You know what, guys? We shouldn't do things for God because of the law. We should do it because we just love Him. Amen? You know what? There's probably a law that tells me I have to take care of my kids. But you know what? I don't need that law. Because I love my kids. And you can get rid of all those laws you want, but I love my kids so much, there's nothing you can do to keep me from loving my kids. And ministering to my kids. You know what? They should be able to take all of the law and get rid of it. Why? Because we should do it out of our love for the Lord. Amen? It's our love that should lead us. It's our love that should give us a passion for Him. He says in John 14, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. You know, the, 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 I'll close with this. What's the greatest commandment? Pharisee came to Jesus and said, What's the greatest of all the commandments? Love your Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You know, if you keep that, you won't need the Ten Commandments. Because if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, you're not going to have other gods, you're not going to serve false idols, you're not going to take his name in vain, and you're always going to have time to spend with him. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you won't kill him. (laughs) Amen? You won't steal from him, you won't have an affair with his wife, you won't covet his stuff, right? Right? You'll honor your parent, right? If you love your neighbor as yourself, it takes care of everything else. So what's the highest form of worship? It's obedience. To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. God gave us the law to show us our need for him and to show us how to live a life that can be fruitful, that can have great joy, not so we can walk around with a black robe and a wheelbarrow full of rules of heaven at the end. I know there's people in this room right now, because I've talked to you, that you're overwhelmed and you just don't feel, can I tell you what? You are His treasured possession. Don't forget that. You need to remember God's grace. Amen? God's riches at Christ's expense. Don't forget God's grace. He loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You for Your Word. And we thank You, Lord, that, that whenever You call us to do something, You always give us the ability to do it, Lord. And we know that the only way we can walk in obedience to Your Word is by the power of Your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for each one of us. There will be less of us and more of You. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit upon us in a mighty and a powerful way, Lord, that we can reflect you to a lost and a dying world. And Lord, help us to love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbors, ourself. Lord, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you. You're such a great and an awesome God. We ask your blessings upon the, the, the rest of this evening, Lord, our time of fellowship afterward. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, let's stand and close a worship song.